whoever came up with the idea of giving kids the idea of coming up with a Christmas list um, is ridiculous. I wish I could have uh, go back in time and zap that person's idea out of their mind, not just the person out of history, but their idea like, hey, let's, let's come up with the idea to give kids a Christmas list. Now, my kids, that's all they're talking about for the weeks to come is they're putting their hope in that list, that that list will come to fruition. Um, the, the newest one right now, and please don't anyone do this for Tennyson, she wants a bunny. I'm like, I'm not I'm like a real live in the cage kind of bunny, and that's all she's talking about. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, gosh, don't. So no ideas unless you like want me to leave. Um, don't get her a bunny. Don't If she comes and asks for a bunny for Christmas, that's what she's asking for. Uh, but but how, I know that's childlike, but how often in our walk with God do we do that with Him? We put hope in these things. We put hope in all the things that He'll provide and yet we don't put our hope into Him. And so this morning, I want to look at this idea when it comes to the Advent. What is our real and lasting, everlasting hope? It's in Christ and Christ Himself. You know, every, every year we come and we celebrate Advent. And what I said last week was we're coming to celebrate Advent, but what we're going to look at this next four weeks and these next three weeks today and the two to follow is our Advent, the anticipation of Christ return but what Christ did when he came and what Christ did when he came was to fulfill uh, three roles that we see throughout the Old Testament the Old Testament is covered with these three roles the, the prophet the priest and the king a prophet was given by God to God's people to declare uh, God's word to God's people so you look at the major prophets and the minor prophets uh, that's most of the Old Testament God's Word to His people. How to live in right relationship with Him. And then we see that there's the priest. The priest, and we'll look at next week, the priest was given by God that the priest was the only one that could make a sacrifice for God's people. And when that priest would go into the Holy of Holies and throw blood onto the altar, the people's sins were forgiven. And then we look at and through the Old Testament, we see uh, the lineage of the kings through the Old Testament. David being the greatest king that we just studied. But when we come and we celebrate Advent, we come and we are reminded that Christ fulfilled all three roles. He's the only one that could fulfill all three roles, the prophet, the priest and the king. It's because of him that we have what we celebrate at Advent. We have hope and the prophet what we're going to look at this morning. The hopeful words that Christ Himself said and declares to us. And that's what God's Word is. God's Word, we looked at it last week. The incarnation is God's very Word spoken through us through Christ Jesus. We saw that in John 1, chapter 1. He is the Word of God. Therefore, He is the ultimate prophet because it's not just Him speaking. He's speaking the very words of God Himself. That gives us hope. Next week, we're going to look at Christ being our priest. He's the one that makes us even have peace with God because of His great sacrifice. Because of Christ coming as a baby and living a sinless life and going to the cross and absorbing the wrath of God and His blood was poured out for us, He becomes the ultimate priest. And then the final week, on the 23rd of December, we're going to look and celebrate Christ being the King. 
He rules over everything. And because we have Christ that rules over everything, it brings us peace. Amen. And so this morning, I want to look at this. I want to look at Christ being the incarnated prophet. You know, uh, John Calvin says this, if it were not for Christ fulfilling all three roles, then we would be doomed. We would still be in this anticipation of something greater to come. That's what is going on with the Jewish people today. They are still in Advent. They're still waiting for the prophet, the priest, and the king to come. Now in our Advent, we're not waiting for Him, but we come and we celebrate Him because we're waiting for the ultimate return of our great prophet, priest, and king. But we must be reminded, and that's what we do at Advent, we remind our minds and our hearts and our spirits that there is a great prophet priest and king who will come and will gather his people back to his presence. And so this morning, I want to look at this idea. Where does our hope come from? We're teaching our children at dinner time uh, these catechisms, these ideas that the fundamentals of their faith. And so the very first one that we're struggling through at the moment is this. What is our only hope in life and death. We're trying to teach Tennyson and Cedar, what's your only hope? Because it's not in a bunny rabbit. It's not in some Marvel action figure you're going to receive in a few weeks. What is our only hope? This is the answer to the catechism. It says this, that we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, both life and death, to God and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. That is our hope. That's why we celebrate Advent because He is our hope this morning. And my prayer for us this week have been this. That we would leave hopeful people this morning. Not because it's Christmas. Not because of the gifts we'll receive. But we'll be reminded that we have a prophet that has spoken great words over us and to us. And so, the reading that Jared read is from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a phenomenal book. If you have a chance, uh, just read those few short chapters. But in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this. This is where it starts, and this will be the jump point to chapter 3. It says this in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so what the writer is saying, hey, when we look back in the Old Testament, the way that God would speak to us was through the prophets. He's going to tell us who the greatest prophet of all time for the Jewish people was in a moment. If you look at Isaiah, you look at Hosea, you, you look at all uh, Ezekiel, all those were prophets that were speaking the words of God to the people of God. That's how they would communicate with God was through a priest. But then the writer of Hebrews says this. He would speak through the prophets long ago. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, the ultimate prophet, who He appointed the heir of all things through whom He also he created the world. We talked about that last week. That the very words that Jesus spoke put things into existence. And this is who the great prophet is. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God at the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So the, the writer of Hebrews is saying this. God used to speak to us this way through the prophets. Now He's given us the great prophet. Now turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 3. This is what God says about the great prophet. Therefore, holy brothers, that's the church. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you are holy and who share in the heavenly calling. Remember, we've talked about that. that God called us from death to life. To be His people. To be His church. Consider, circle that in your Bible. I'm going to end with that. That's the application this morning. I'm going to come all the way back to verse 1. Application this morning is consider. So circle that in your Bible. Consider Jesus. The Apostle. The High Priest of our confession. What is our confession? Our confession is that He is our only hope in life and death. And it's through His life, He has granted us life by absorbing the wrath of God. That's the confession. We're confessional people. We hold to a confession. If you want to know the confession that we hold to, read the Baptist faith and message. Read the Apostles' Creed. That's a confession that we hold to. If this is what we believe to be true about God. This is what we believe to be true about ourselves. And that, therefore, these two things give us eternal glory with God when we hold to our confession. So he's saying, Consider Jesus. Hold to your confession as the church. Then he says this in verse 2 through 6. Who was faithful. Remember, consider Jesus who was faithful. To Him appointed Him just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. How much more glory as the builder of the house. More honor than the house itself. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is this, that if Christ is the greater prophet, which he is, we believe this to be true, that Jesus was a faithful prophet. Now, you may wonder to yourself, why would he choose of all the people of the Old Testament? Why would the writer choose Moses to compare Jesus to? Think about all the prophets from the Old Testament. There's so many, but he chooses Moses. Why would the writer choose Moses to be the one in comparison with Jesus, the great prophet? Because for Jewish people, Moses was the greatest prophet. And you may be wondering, why, how was Moses the greatest prophet? Because Moses was the one that God used. It tells us this in uh, Numbers chapter 12. He says this, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. And I speak to him with a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Like all the other prophets you had before Moses and after, not so with Moses. This is what I'm going to do with Moses. Not so with Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Face to face. Like there's this relationship that God had that was very unique with Moses than any of the other prophets. It, it, Moses is the only one that the Bible says that was like a friend to God. Like, do you see the relationship that Moses has 
with God. It's a very special relationship, so unique than any other relationship. He said, I'll speak to him mouth to mouth, not with riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why? Then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see, there's this special relationship. And what's so special in that relationship? And why do the people of the Jewish culture hold Moses in such high esteem? Well, if you know anything about Jewish culture, what's the thing they hold most high esteem over all things? It's the law. And so, Moses is known as the law giver, which meant if they held Moses in such high esteem, or the law in such high esteem, then they would say this, Moses as is equal to the law. Because it's the very words of God spoken through Moses. But it says this in the text. But let us consider Jesus, who was faithful to him and appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all things. What he's saying is, Jesus, I'm going to compare Jesus and Moses. And what he's saying is, Jesus is more faithful than Moses. Well, how was Moses faithful? Five things I want to point out throughout the Old Testament. Moses was faithful in this way. Moses was faithful to speak the very words of God. Remember when he said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and speak my words to say to them, this is what's going to happen. Moses faithfully went in there with all the fear and all the trepidation, but he faithfully spoke the words of God. To Pharaoh. He knew he could be killed for speaking the very words to Pharaoh. Not only that, but Moses was faithful to accomplish all things. Everything that Moses said was going to happen, happened. Remember, he came and said, this, my staff is going to be a snake, and it became a snake. And then the, the, the plagues, we see the faithfulness of the words of God through Moses. He was faithful to accomplish everything that God had called him to. He was faithful to be obedient even in dire circumstances. Extreme circumstances. Moses was faithful. Moses was faithful to remain, to do the call that God had placed on his life to the very end. Even through not being able to go into the promised land. But we see the faithfulness that Moses never gave up. The last thing we see, and there's many others, we saw that Moses never grew tired or weary in his faithfully serving the Lord. And yet it says this, that Jesus is more faithful than Moses himself. See, this was already declared through Moses Back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He says this to Moses himself. Through Moses. And Moses says this. The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me. From among you and from our brothers. And you shall listen to him. Even Moses knew there was going to be a greater prophet than himself. Like Even Moses, the greatest prophet, knew back in Deuteronomy who was leading the people of God out of exile that there's going to be a prophet that was going to rise up greater than himself. That there would be a more faithful prophet. That there would be a man that would come that would speak the very words of God Himself. That's what Jesus did 
He wasn't just speaking God's words. He was speaking as God Himself. And was not that true about Jesus that He was more faithful than Moses to accomplish everything that the Lord called Him to do? He says, Jesus Himself says, I don't come to do my will. I come to do the Father's will. And He accomplished it. Did He not ever get weary? No. He remained faithful all the way to the end of the cross. Even back in the garden, the great prophet said, not, I, not my will be done, but God, I want to remain faithful to You. You see, Jesus is faithful to God because He's God Himself. See, Moses was faithful to God because he was dependent on God. Jesus was faithful because he was God himself. He was the great prophet. He was the very words of God himself. That is what we come and celebrate today. We celebrate that Jesus was made flesh. That God was made flesh. That's what we call Emmanuel. You see, the great prophet came out of heaven and became flesh for us and then demonstrated a life of faithfulness to His Word and His Word alone. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say we have a faithful prophet. He also tells us this, that we have what? In verse 3 and 4, Jesus has been counted what? More worthy of Moses. So not only do we have a faithful prophet, but now we have a worthy prophet. You see, worthy means that we give all honor and glory to. See, that's where the Jewish people are still hung up. They're still giving honor and glory to Moses. They still look at Moses as the great priest and the great prophet. Moses is the only one that fills both of those roles in the Old Testament, prophet and priest, and they still give him honor and glory. But here's what we know to be true. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. Very famous passage. Remember, he's with his disciples, is with his closest friends, and they go up onto a mountain. And who does he take with him? Peter, James, and John through this mountain. And then who shows up on the mountain? It's the moment of transfiguration where the worthiness and the holiness of Jesus is finally displayed to mankind. Who's on the mountain? Moses and Elijah. And then Peter flips out. He freaks out and says, do I need to build a a shack here and a shack here and dwell here and dwell here? And, And what he says in essence, these are Todd's words, not God's words, but he basically says, it doesn't matter about these two men. It matters about me. I'm more worthy than both of them. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to show you, I'm going to compare myself to who you, Peter, James, and John, have always thought to be more worthy than me. They were Jewish. Don't forget that. And yet, so he invites those two men, Elijah and Moses, to the mountain. And in that moment, he reveals his worthiness is more worthy than Moses himself. Remember, he rebukes Peter in that moment. Because Peter's wanting to give honor and worth and value to Elijah and Moses. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
give it to me and me alone. I'm more worthy than them. And so we must ask the question, why is Jesus worthy of our worship as the great prophet? Two things I believe. The first thing is this, that Jesus is our Redeemer. You see, the Jewish people had already put their hope in a prophet and a priest to bring redemption. The prophet would be the things that would spoke the words of God that would bring conviction and they'd run to the priest and the priest would then take their sins that had been revealed to them by the prophet to the altar for redemption. And Jesus says, and we'll look at this next week, I'm going to fulfill both of those roles. So Jesus is our great Redeemer. He calls us to repentance. And what does He use to call us to repentance? His Word, the law, which was given to us by Moses. So He's saying to us, hey, I'm going to use what's true about the law and the law I'm going to give to you so that will bring repentance so that I can show you it's through Me, the Redeemer, that offers repentance, not throwing some blood on an altar. And He's called us through being the Redeemer to do two things. Versus through repentance. You see, the great prophet is coming and speaking to him about himself that he's the Redeemer. So he's making that clear to us. And in making that clear to us, then he put the call onto our life. The prophet is calling all of us. The words are true. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And the second thing he calls us to is this. I think so often we think, oh, God's going to give us faith. He does give us faith, but He also calls us to faith. And so two things the Redeemer does. He calls us to repentance and calls us to faith. The last thing we see that we have a prophet who is faithful. We have a prophet who is worthy. But I think more than all of those is this last one. This is the most important point of this morning's message. We have a prophet who is righteous. You see, you see, when we look at just Moses himself, Moses was a faithful man. But Moses was not righteous. Moses was worthy because he led God's people. But what separates Jesus from Moses is his righteousness. You see, it had to be counted unto Abraham as righteousness. It had to be counted unto Moses as righteousness. We see that in the book of Hebrews. See, these acts that they were doing is what led them to their righteousness. But when we look at Christ, the ultimate prophet, He was righteous, not because of any act He did. He was righteous because He was God and God alone and God is righteous, not because of His actions. It's His character. And so we have a righteous prophet. And so He begins to say in Hebrews chapter 3 what that righteousness looks like. And you may get bogged down and think, I don't understand what... He's talking about what he's talking about, the builder in the house, the builder in the house. He's talking about the church. Chapter three, verses five and six are all about the church, and we can only be the church because of his righteousness. He says it's not the house that matters. It's the builder that matters and the builder's the one that built the house. Stop giving glory to the house, but give glory to the builder. And I wonder, church, how often we give more glory to this place than the God who built this place. See, we'll get bogged down in the details. 
But God is who built Pouch Chapel Baptist Church. It was God in His righteousness and His sovereignty over 140 years ago that said there's got to be a place in this community for the lost people in this community. It's because of a righteous and holy God. You see, out of that, we now see we have a faithful God and a God worthy to be worshipped as our prophet. I love what the old died about a year ago, almost to the day, R.C. Sproul says about the prophet, our great prophet. When we look at Moses, what did Moses do? Was Moses not considered the redeemer of God's people? Remember, Moses walked into Pharaoh and said to Pharaoh, hey, God has a plan for this people, this people that's growing. God wants to draw them out of slavery into bondage. And God wants to set them free. And Moses said these words to Pharaoh, let my people go. But I say to you and I submit to you and I plead with you, church, today there's a greater prophet that is saying to a greater enemy, let my people go. It's Jesus Christ speaking the very words that He spoke through Moses as the great I Am. Let my people go. And He's saying that to us, church. The great prophet says the great declaration. I have come to set my people free. That's why we have a great prophet. He sets us free. Let us live free indeed, church. And so I ask you to go back as application to this. Are you set free? Do you have hope today? If you do not hope, do not have hope and you do not live a free life, a righteous life, a holy life, it goes all the way back to verse 1 where I said, circle the word. The word I asked you to circle was this. Consider. You see, when we hear that word consider in the English language, we think, oh, I'll give a passing thought to it. Consider this, consider that, consider this. That's not what the Greek word is using. The very word in the Greek means this. To pay attention continuously to. To continue to observe. An ongoing observation. It's this idea to put your mind on Jesus and let it remain there forever and ever and ever and ever. So I ask you this. When's the last time you considered Jesus? Not thought about Him. But considered Him. You see, when we consider Jesus, we'll be reminded of what Christ did for us, which takes us to the application of the text, which in His wisdom, the writer tells us this. When we consider Jesus, then this will happen in our lives. Because to verse Seven and eight. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, God Himself says this today, if you hear His voice, the prophet's voice, He says this, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. You see, we will not have rebellious hearts when we have consideration of Jesus Christ. I cannot be considering Christ and continue to rebel against God. That's impossible. Well, when I have thoughts about God, I can always continue to sin. But man, when I contemplate the resurrection 
the power of what Christ did for me, it's going to change me. And that's what gives me hope. And it started as a baby in a manger. Do I consider what Christmas is about? Christmas is about this. I read this this week. I'll paraphrase it. We'll never fully understand the lengths that Christ Jesus went all the way from the glory of heaven, the radiance of heaven, to the darkness of a womb. The glories of heaven where it's all about Him. And in a moment, He pulled skin on and went to a dark teenage womb. Knowing, man, the next 33 years of my life, it's going to be real hard. It's not going to be all this glory and honor. It's going to be persecution and suffering. But the lengths that He went to for that. When I consider that, how would my heart get hardened? When I consider that, I consider that I do not want my heart to be hardened, I'll do what it says next. I will begin to root out sin in my life. The great Puritan said this, John Owen, about unconfessed sin, about sin not being rooted out of our life. He says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You see, but what I begin to consider Jesus, then I begin to root out sin in my life. And then sin in my life cannot kill me. Christ in me is killing the sin. And the last one we have hope in is this. He says it at the very end of verse 6. The great reformers said this. They called it perseverance of the saints. He says this, if indeed we hold fast to our confession and to our boasting, if we hold fast, that's an ongoing holding. And it says this, our confession to what? Christ Jesus is our security. And it's really not about us holding on to Him. It's about Him holding on to us. You see, we have great hope this morning because the Savior of the world came as a baby to give us hope of eternal security always. If you think you can lose your salvation this morning, this passage says no because the great prophet Jesus Christ says no. Anyone that's in the Father's hand, no one can come and snatch them out of the Father's hand. You will persevere to the end. But perseverance, listen church, starts with this consideration. You see, you cannot just simply walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and be saved. Let me say that again. You cannot simply walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and be saved. What we have to do is have a heart change that says there's a great prophet that's called me to live a life differently. And because I walked in aisles and prayed a prayer, I will say to the church and to myself and before everyone else, I will have a daily confession of considering who Christ Jesus is. That's what holds me fast. It's not a prayer. Because the prayer in and of itself doesn't matter. It's the accomplished work of what Christ Jesus has done 
in me, in me, and to me. It puts it on him, not on a prayer on me. It's a confession, not a prayer. Do we have hope in a risen Savior, the great prophet, Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God himself today? Let us have hope in him and him alone. Let me pray. God, you are a good God. And I know, God, I've said things here this morning that are not easy to hear. But I pray, God, your word has been declared faithfully and truthfully. And that we look at this word. We consider the word. Jesus, our great prophet. Continue to lead us and guide us as a church, God. Hold us fast through perseverance to the end. Because God, Your promise is true in Your Word. Trials and tribulation and suffering will come. We walk hand in hand with You. And God, this world is going to batter against us and beat against us and want to rob us of our hope and rob us of our joy and rob us of our peace. But You, God, through Jesus Christ, the incarnate prophet, priest, and king, we hold fast to, not because we hold fast to You, but You hold fast to us. So this morning, give us great hope. Give us great hope that You are coming Reign supreme. You are the great prophet, Lord Jesus. The same, same words that were declared nearly 4,000 years ago to a people of bondage in Israel. Let my people go. You are making that same declaration this morning. Let my people go. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that has not found You, the Savior. That they would see that they have been set free from the bondage of sin. Not because of anything they've done, but because of that declaration to Satan, the enemy, through the work of the cross. We are set free. So God, if people are not living free lives today, that today they would hear those words. We are free. And we have hope. Eternal. You are a great God, a kind God, a God that gives us sustaining hope. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.